Welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast series. Thank you for joining me again. I have the pleasure of talking to a panel today, looking at leadership from those who, who are back in the world of study and to get a mature age student perspective on this, which is something I've wanted to do for quite some time. I'll thank one of my guests for helping me do that for today's podcast session. But by way of introduction, my first guest is Sophia Raven, who is a sole parent to a 17-year-old son, James. He is completing grade 12 this year. She ceased work in 2017 due to disability from a permanent psychological disorder. She's been actively engaging in therapy since 2017. She has a medical team consisting of a psychiatrist, psychologist, and GP all working together to provide treatment. She commenced her academic journey in 2020 as part of her therapy. She started an undergraduate certificate in psychology, followed by a diploma of university studies, and is currently studying a bachelor's degree, double major psychology and counseling. And employment prior to her disability was five years of risk and governance management in HR, in CSG, and mining sector. She has 15 years middle and senior management of at three of the big four banks in the finance sector and eight years underwriter in wealth management in the wealth management division in the finance sector. So I'd like to welcome Sophia Raven to the podcast. Hey, uh, g'day. How are you, mate? Thank you for joining me. My next guest is Nick Curry, is, who is a mature age student studying psychology at the University of Southern Queensland. His work experience ranges across time in the military as a carpenter, in sales as a freelance journalist and business marketing copywriter, and for the past 12 years in a business development role. He spent a couple of years as a full-time dad when his children were young and during that time began studying again, going on to complete an honours degree in anthropology. As a psychologist in training, he has special interest in identity and the cultural narratives we use to create and navigate our personal and social identities. And my final guest is Annette Dimastenos, a career development practitioner and industry liaison officer with an extensive work history in leadership and non-leadership roles across multiple industries, including education, engineering, mining, manufacturing, building and construction, superannuation and finance, agriculture and primary industry. And its curiosity, passion for exploring and desire to be a lifelong learner has seen her turn her focus to university studies. Earlier this year, she took on the, she took the leap to embark on the next phase of her own career journey, commencing a Bachelor of Psychology Honours through the University of Southern Queensland in March of this year. With Annette's love of connecting people and her intrinsic desire to seek knowledge, she looks to her degree as a way to gain further understanding and insights so she may support others in this ever-changing world. I'd like to welcome everyone to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Annette, I, I, I did say at the start of this, I'd, I'd like to thank someone to help for helping me organize this, and that's yourself. Thank you for helping me do this, mate. As I said offline, I've wanted to get a panel together to talk about leadership from your perspective or, or my guest here perspective for quite some time. So let's let's get started. I might start with you, Sophia, if that's okay. Can I ask as an introduction to, to the podcast, what links you saw, if any, between your current studies and any future leadership type roles? I didn't start study with any intention of any leadership, with any leadership capacity in the future. My background was predominantly in leadership, so that wasn't the deterrent. The objective of my study is to be of service to my community, particularly those who don't have the privilege of mental health support, which makes up a large population of Australians. And this was prior to the pandemic, so I can only see that as in a a worsened condition because of the pandemic, but 
I was in a very privileged position, Eric, where I was given a tremendous amount of support because I had the finances to do it. And unfortunately, there are a lot of Australians that don't have that privileged position. And I say that, and it doesn't um, pertain to any ethnicity and it doesn't pertain to any particular sector of um, employment either. It simply comes down to low socioeconomic backgrounds and uh, remote areas typically don't have the support because they can't afford it or they don't know it exists. As I said, I was privileged and I did know and I did have the money. And because of that support, I have a very high standard of medical care. I want to pay that back to my community and be of support to whatever that may appear to be or whomever that should be, I should say, because mental illness can affect anyone at any age and it still has a stigma here in Australia and I, I don't think that that has been overcome yet particularly in corporate Australia where I came from it, it wasn't tolerated and the difference being coming from corporate Australia there you're, you're likely to have the finances to support yourself in the event that something does happen there's many people that unfortunately don't have access so I don't intend on being a very wealthy person <laughs> but I feel very rich being having the opportunity to study. So I think as far as leadership is connected to that, lead by example in my position would probably be more of an angle that I would take because maybe it would be um, more desirable for others to take on community roles in psychology if it was given more respect. Yeah, you don't need to have the title to be in a leadership position if that's what you're doing to get in the community on the issue of mental health and uh, more power to you. And that, that's great to hear. So thank you for sh sharing that, Sophia. I might go to Nick now. Nick, do you see your studies connecting to leadership in the future, mate? It's an interesting question. That's not even something I thought about before we uh, started having a conversation. Because for me, studying is a way of extending myself predominantly. I've always been interested in people in different areas and I've had low-level leadership roles. For me, as I'm just sitting here thinking about it, I probably don't see any aspiration for leadership in the sense of wanting to lead a large organization or anything like that. But at the same time, you know how there's this concept of managing up? Oftentimes people have got a manager that they feel is incompetent, but you can make them a better manager by helping them to be a better manager. So I probably see that the way I'm approaching life is more that I want to have the skills so that I can lead up when that's necessary. I'm involved with community groups, I've got kids and family, that sort of stuff. I think good people make good leaders as opposed to just people in the right positions making good leaders. So my goal is always to improve myself and hopefully that makes me a better leader. If I end up in a situation where there's a leadership element to the role I'm filling, then that's great. I hope I can be can do it well. Um, but yeah, it wasn't something I was specifically conscious of trying to become a better leader in, in pursuing the study that I'm doing. Purpose of discussion is to see how this fits in and, and, and the method to the madness will come along as, as we go through some of the questions here. So thank you for that, Nick. Annette, over to you. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm a bit similar to both Sophia and Nick in that I hadn't really thought about it and I have been thinking about it listening to to both of you talk. Perhaps underlying everything, there, there is a sense of wanting to take what I learn and using that to potentially go into something that might entail some type of leadership, leadership position, whether that's like leading a project, a research project, or some other type of collaborative 
project where I combine what I have done with what I'm learning and using that to try and influence. I'm not quite sure what the sector is going to be, but it's 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 kind of there. There is there is an inkling of of something, but I just don't have it qualified. I don't know if that's much of an answer for you, but I'm not looking for perfect answers, just <laughs> seeing how the things might link together. Why why I tend to ask this is from a university standpoint, and some degrees lend themselves to this and other don't you will maybe naturally fall into leadership roles whether you're looking for formal positions or not depending on the field that you're going so again it's not necessarily about being called a ceo or or a cfo you can be in a small community group and leading volunteers and that's a leadership position i'm I'm not necessarily linking that to remuneration or the kind of um maybe media coverage you might get for having a leadership role it's it's being of, of service to others, which is my definition of leadership. And it sounds like you all will be treading in that space at some point. And my interest in, in talking to you, particularly now that you're all in study mode and you're out there doing it from a mature age perspective, because you've all lived some life before you got back into university, which is um, I'm in that field as well. So I understand what it is to go back and study and all of the challenges and the opportunities that go with that. You will interact with leaders at some point in the future, or you've been led by others. So I might start with you on this, Annette, if I could. What's initially, okay, so I'll say that again, what is your definition of leadership and what are you going to be looking for in leaders when you get out in in the big bad world of whichever industry sector you might go into? Do you know, it's really interesting when, because you put, you put these questions that we were going to look at uh, in this session and, and I had a real think about this today and and I kind of wrote some notes down because my, my view of leadership has actually changed from what it had initially been to what it is now. So I used to think that it was kind of a person that would be at the head of a ship, you know, you're steering the ship and this is where we're going and this is how we're going to get there. And then that kind of morphed into, okay, now it's a person who's part of a team. The team is is steering the ship you know they're collaborating to identify where we're going and how we're going to get there and then that's morphed into someone who could collaborate with a wide range of stakeholders helping to bring together a vision of where the collective believed they were going and facilitating the input into how they were going to go uh, and get there and who was going to do what etc and now the last few years is really um, and again this is just my view it's I, I seem to see a fundamental shift in in what I would expect from a leader. And, and now I think, you know, it's, it's, it's morphing and changing again. So what I would be looking for in a leader is, is somebody who's got the foresight to identify potential and more of like a humbleness to review what's worked and what hasn't worked from a historical perspective with a lens of being considerate and compassionate the openness to be engaging and tolerant of a wide range of voices. So definitely with that inclusivity and diversity kind of lens, which I haven't always seen in leaders. So that if you've got this diversity of voices coming through, then you come up with something that's truly unique. And then a a leader that has the capacity to hold that with gentle hands, that moves forward with this considerateness and, and somebody that can walk beside people rather than just directly leading them and, and helping others to kind of self-correct as they go along. So it's it's just a little bit different from what I had traditionally seen as like a leadership role. If 
that makes sense too. It does. I might ask a follow-up if I can, then I'll, I'll, I'll move to Nick. Do you think you going back to university and studying at this level has had an influence on how you've been thinking? I'm, I'm, and I'm not going to there's a right way to think when you're at uni. I mean, you get taught how to research and how to critically analyze. Do you think you, your deep dive back into uni has changed things for you or not? I think it has, but I also think the last few years with the pandemic and with what I can see now with what's going on in the employment industry and, you know, talking to people in, in my work is that the, the nature of employment is changing. It's not what it used to be. So that means we need different kind of leaders to be able to understand that and to be able to work with that. And I think that definitely this course is certainly opening up my mind from a diverse and, and cultural perspective. And, you know, I'm only in year one, so I can't wait to see what the rest is going to do, but yeah, Definitely. It's definitely having an impact on the way that I think and the way that I interact. I appreciate that, Annette. So let's uh, go to Nick. Same question to you, mate. Your definition of leadership and do you have any inkling whether or not it's been impacted by your studies at the moment? Um, yeah, probably my layperson definition of leadership, something along the lines of a person who can inspire others to be their best. Um and then if you wanted to unpack that a bit further, there's elements within that of a person who's got vision, someone who can actually see a better world or a better person, and they might be going to lead you and challenge you to, to be your best. Um, so they're obviously a person who's got some sort of value set, and you and that actually comes out in the way they behave, but they, they don't just try and achieve things for themselves. They're, they're enabling the people around them as well. Um, so they're they take on a role of a mentor in different um, spaces as well. So they have to engage with lots of people. So they're a bit of an all-rounder who's got a vision of how they can see that the world could be different. And they're good at sharing that and communicating that in a way that other people want to contribute to that vision as well. And, and as people gather around that vision and the person who's um, driving it, um, this person's able to empower those people to, to achieve something. Um, so that's probably the way I approach it is, is a bit similar to Annette in that there's, there's different aspects to it. But yeah, some very common things I noticed there was this idea of um, a vision, but also a person who's got values themselves that draws people to them. Um, and like Annette was saying, I grew up with similar ideas of leaders as strong people with you know dynamic personalities, that sort of thing. But now that's less the way I would probably describe it, it's more a very quiet and gentle person can be a really strong leader because they have those qualities. And it's often about, I think, clarity of vision. That's a really strong one for me. And so they're able to communicate that and people are just drawn into that. And um, then a good leader can harness the the energy that comes as people are drawn into this vision of a of a different future and they can empower them and equip them to do it all and so the same additional question i asked annette do you think your studies has, has changed your view of things yes yeah, certainly as i'm studying my view of the world is evolving i remember as a younger person i had you know i remember there were times when i was in the army that they talked about leadership and it was some of the real classic leadership types of thing about the different types of leaders and all that sort of stuff. But these days, I probably don't see it through those same lenses. I think the world's a lot more complex, but also I think culture is changing as well. This is a society we live in. If I'm 44 years old now, leadership actually means something different in society now than what it did when I was 20 as well. 
So I don't think it's just what I'm learning. I think we as a society are learning that there's actually different ways to do things than what we used to do. Um, so I think education is part of it, but I think education itself is evolving in, in line with society. Thank you for that, Nick. So Sophia, same question again to you, your definition of leadership, and do you think it's been impacted by the studies that you're undertaking? I'll answer the, the, the second question first. Yes, I do. And also there was so much said by Annette and Nick that um, I won't repeat because I would have to tick everything they said is that is so accurate, particularly with management has changed so much so in the last five years, I would, sorry, last three years with, with COVID. It's impact, my approach or my understanding or, or my consideration of leadership has definitely been impacted by study. And the number one reason for that is I know that I have a different internal voice and I know that I have now a different informed voice. I have an informed, an informed voice from a different angle than where I came from. And that is based on the particular type of study that I am doing and specifically around psychology and specifically around the written word. So it has definitely impacted how I see leadership and it's made me question so much more about leadership and what we tolerate as employees or those under the reign of a, a sociopathic leader. And I'll give you some examples of that. Working in the big four banks, I had extreme experience of the an effective um, leader, and this is very senior, like state state management level direct line manager in two separate banks. And it is the culture of the banks that determine what those leaders or how they will perform. And there is a high tolerance to behaviours that are now not acceptable in the workforce. And I'm not going back hundreds of years. I'm going back this century. And the, the speak that would have happened in one particular bank that I am thinking of would not be tolerated today in the year 2022. And those are the, around the two very important social issues, which is domestic violence and women in the workplace, specifically with children. And I found that a challenge and often had employment threatened because I had an infant child and couldn't be at certain places at certain times. That would not be tolerated anymore. So they are some significant social issues that are now changing with leadership. And it is about time because I'm 54 and I've spent a lifetime fighting to have a place in corporate Australia. And um, illness isn't a reason to step out. It's just a reason to step into a different place in that. I think a leader needs to be very humble now and needs to be prepared to take on the tasks that they expect of their people. And something I think is personally important is somebody with a, a bit of moral fibre to them and, and somebody who doesn't instigate, promote, enable behaviours that we know are toxic. And I think the time has come to say no to the bully in the workplace. And I think it's time to say no to, it's just a joke in the workplace. We talk a lot of talk that we that we see around the place, but 
I haven't been in a workforce in the last five years and my last memories of that were did not leave a very nice taste in my mouth. I saw some very low-lying behaviours in very senior positions in companies that should know better and I see them band on about, say, domestic violence and how they support that. As somebody who had to go through that process, I did not receive any support by two banks in particular when I needed to move into a certain place. So what we see as a company, and these are big companies, you know, multinational billion dollar companies whose whose leaders are making bonuses of millions of dollars, they need to probably take um, a a lesson in self-reflection and look at what they're promoting. Are they actually part of the problem? So I don't see change because I haven't been involved in it. I certainly wouldn't want to step back into what I deliberately walked away from five years ago. Big reason why I do these podcasts is to, is to learn myself about what people are thinking around the leadership dynamic. And you've all given me a lot to think about here. And one thing that strikes me as common a common thread is this. Um, and, and you said it, Sophia. You said it nicely. A little bit of moral fiber. I want them to have a huge shot of that if you're dealing with leaders, because it's I, I guess it's a different world in the world of work. And the unfortunate part of your the, the, what you've just shared there. And of course, I'm not going to ask you the organizations that you dealt with but i think we've all got a story of a toxic leader or two whether we've experienced it or somebody else has and i don't think i've run across anyone who said they've only ever worked with fair dinkum awesome leaders and never had to deal with someone who's just been what's well, my podcast so i can say it's shit house at their job sorry nick you got your hand up mate as sophia was talking and you're reflecting on it now i the word that keeps coming back to me is accountability there's actually a level of accountability in society now where leaders are no longer exempt and this is followed through everything from the me too movement kind of stuff that's more specific to particular men in particular industries but i think that's filtering right through into broader culture where leaders are accountable in ways that they never used to be and that doesn't probably extend right the way through every area but certainly when you talk about moral fiber and stuff like that it's so easy now for people to share and to communicate and to form groups outside of the workplace where they can share stories just like what we're doing here and you can you can then go back to leaders and and apply social pressure in ways that never used to be possible the power of social media and the ability to spread the story um, and to share it through different mediums is actually quite powerful and i think that leads into some of that accountability at the leadership level so people can it's like the old-fashioned picket line but it doesn't happen in the physical workplace anymore people can gather around lawyer up and go get serious about actually we want to see some change here and here's why Um, so that accountability for leadership is perhaps stronger than what i remember it being when i was young it should have been there well i would have assumed and this is my bringing my naivete to the conversation is with as much positional power as an individual may have as a leader you would expect that their level of accountability is just as high given that position so if you're a ceo and you allow for a toxic culture to develop you're accountable to that shit and and it's very difficult to keep some people accountable leadership and understanding people it's a complicated space you're dealing with complex interactions of human beings on a daily basis and no one's ever going to get it right all the time but i think if you've got a skill set that allows you to navigate that and, and pick the times when things aren't going well and help people to deal with that that's as much as you can ask of a human being. Now, uh, Sophia brought this up, and and this is another discussion for another time. Is the cultural 
norms in an organization reflect its leadership. And if the workplace is toxic, I would suggest that there are leaders in that organization that are the poster boys and girls for that bad behavior. Before we go on, um, and the next area is something that was brought up by a previous guest of mine that was research he had, his organization had done looking at what uh, youth, the youth coming through, so grade 12 kids going to university, getting out of school, what they're looking for in leaders. And I might read out what Mark found and get your views on that. And I might start with Sophia, but before I do, I'll, I'll read out what, what was found. So as I said, I spoke with Mark McCrindle, who's a social analyst and demographer, who noted that the next generation are looking for six different things, sorry, five, the first being a role with purpose and meaning, a place where I can make a difference with my skills, social connection, flexibility, and seeing that you have an impact, that you can make an impact. I might go to you first, Sophia, does that, do any of those five resonate with you? I don't think that, no. Okay. A 17 and a half year old who works and will be working to support himself through, you know, to help himself through university. And he talks about his work environment and there's, it's a completely different world to what I can relate to, but I know what he looks for in a supervisor. And that is someone who knows what they're doing. He just wants people to be all on the same page and consistent in their actions and deliver the best that they can because that's the age he's in and he hasn't considered what a lifetime of career will be in the area that he's chosen for his ATAR to get into. It'll be a completely different experience. But I can't say that's a, a, a definite that that's um, that those results don't reflect what other grade 12 year old grade 12 uh, school leavers are experiencing um, they certainly don't think like an ex-gen like myself they have a completely different mindset and they don't even communicate in the same way that I can truly connect to so there's going to be a disjointed relationship there for any student leaving school with a manager who's any older than me because that much older than me you've, you've got yourself a baby boomer but they're starting to retire and we will be the the ancient ones in the workforce so there's going to be there's been such a a, a strange separation from this generation to mine because they're the ages of our children but they are communicating in a completely different way the objective I think is that they the end result, doesn't matter what the medium is, but they all stay on target. And that's that's actually a quote from my son. No one seems to stay on target because the managers are too young and they don't know what they're doing and it's chaos and they like structure. I'd hope that helps, but that's just from the mouth of a near 18-year-old. I appreciate the feedback. I spoke to my 19-year-old uh, who's first year uni and he could relate to some, but not not quite to others. So I guess the mm -hmm. cohort, you're never going to have perfect, perfect alignment, I'm sure, because they didn't sample every young person that's out there. So there may be some differing views. So I might go to Nick. What's your view on those five areas, mate? When I saw the list, I thought that actually sounds a lot like what I think Again, I'm not one of those people, but I do have an 18-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old daughter. That sort of resonates with me is what they're looking for. The way I think about it is probably a bit different from the way they think about it. Because from my perspective, I see that a good leader is someone who's who's bringing you into their team, so to speak. And so you're collaborating with a good leader to achieve something together. And when the balance shifts 
away in either direction from we're, com- we're working together to achieve an outcome towards we're working together so that I can get what I want, or we're working together so that you can get what you want. That's when the leadership starts to break down. So in the scenario that um, you've painted there with those sorts of things, these are very high order values that tell me the kids who give these responses, they've actually got most of their basic needs in life met. They're not having to struggle to feed themselves. They're not having to fight for lots of things, which are the lower level needs that we all have. We just need to get by in life. These are, you know, purpose and meaning, wanting to make a difference, connection, flexibility. This is all the stuff that sounds to me like someone who's got their basic needs met. And so it sounds a lot like what they're expecting from the relationship with the leader is the leader is going to help me get my needs met, as opposed to I'm going to work with this leader and we're going to achieve a common goal. Again, what we're talking about before was the scenario where leaders have too much power and and they literally can just turn people into slaves who work for them. And it's all about the leader getting their bonus or something like that. That's when the, the uh, pendulum swings in the other direction. So the way I hear this is, yeah, very high order values from people who who don't really, who haven't probably had to struggle a lot and they don't really appreciate the value of genuinely getting together and just working together to achieve something. Because it seems like it's they're very self-serving kind of expectations as opposed to being expectations about the organisation. Annette, your views or view? So if I'm coming from the perspective of, of a year 12 student that's about to graduate, and, uh, and I guess I do have some experience in this because of my role, I'd firstly like to agree with both what Nick and Sophia have said, uh, particularly with what Nick is saying when you're in an area that is a lower socioeconomic area, that their priorities are around survival and being able to feed themselves and house themselves, then then these, as Nick says, these higher order factors probably don't contribute a lot. If if we look at some of the some of the other students that I've been involved with who have those needs met, exactly what you're saying, Nick, they've they've met those needs, so they are looking at that next level up. Then it's more in line with what they're they're, they're looking for, particularly around the making a difference and having an impact. Um, I hear that a lot that they want to be involved with organisations that are environmentally. Uh, sustainable that might have a social impact or might do some kind of social influence so I think they're in line there but I think it's really subjective depending on the top cohort that you're talking to uh, and where they are sure and the the diversity of these responses to that that finding is yes it doesn't cover all kids it doesn't cover all socio demographics and I don't think that was the intention I guess in them looking for what is that youth cohort looking at I don't know who they sampled and how often they sampled them or the types of background. So I can understand where you're coming from. When I spoke to Mark about that and and I had to think about it afterwards, I put myself going back to when I was 17, 18, uh, sorry, I repeated grade 11 for reasons we won't get into here. But when I left high school at 19, I wasn't thinking about this stuff. I was thinking I want to make some money. I know I'm probably going to go to uni and that was the only thing that was driving me. I didn't really think about the aspects of the leader other than 
pay me my damn money at the end of the week and I'll keep working for you and hopefully I don't stuff things up. Now, don't know if work is access to work is a privilege, but I, I had the good fortune of working for my dad in the construction industry and I got to learn very quickly what it is to work in a field where different social norms tend to run on construction sites that wouldn't be accepted in any other form of life. In the day when I was coming up, none of this seemed to worry me. And what I will say though, that something that um, is maybe a spark for hope in the future is that if young people are identifying these things as things that are important to them, maybe the future of leadership is not so bad. That All that said, how do you track and map every young person's pathway through a career? How do you know that hundreds of kids aren't meeting the best leaders ever and then some are only getting the worst kind of human beings as role models for leadership? Although I will qualify that by saying every time I remember a leadership lesson, I often remember the bad lessons that I got taught and learnt from rather than the good leaders that I've had in my life that it depended on the person, obviously, but I appreciate the responses on that one. That was um, uh, interesting. The final area I'd like to have a chat to you about is this thing around leader capability. So we talked about how you all might define leadership for yourselves and um, it, it seems like it might change over time. Definitely Annette uh, suggested her definition changed for her. Over time, I've, I've had a lot of discussions around this. I, I think in the main, people's definition of leadership changes in their youth to middle career towards the end of a career. I might start with you, Sophia, if I can. Is there a, a, a key list of leader capabilities that you think are critical, irrespective of industry sector that leaders need to have in, in the world of work based on your experience? Uh, for sure. There's, as I said, some some moral fibre. And uh, uh, um, honesty is a, and, and that word is gets thrown around and not used in the correct way. Honesty is actually being um, able to do the job that you're asking someone else to do. I think if you're asking and have an expectation of somebody's position in the workplace, you must at least have a, a, some insight into how that job works and what are the mechanics behind it so that you can guide them through the process to bring it to a place of excellence. So being able or prepared to do the job that you're asking someone else to do is a, um, a very important part of leadership. Leadership also needs to have an understanding of the changes that are happening in our world at the moment so that all people can be accommodated for. And I think we really need to shake off the mentality of must be in the office at a certain time and all these restrictions that happen because restrictions have clearly not worked. If the workforce we had for the last 200 years in Australia was so good, there wouldn't be so many people that are not happy in the workforce. Most people want to work. Most people want to have meaning in this world. So any job can have meaning. It's the meaning that you give it. And also with leadership, it's all great to want the best leader, but you also got to try and be the best employee that matches it. So a leader is somebody who can actually identify the personality traits that meet the challenges of that role. And if a leader can't do that, they're always going to have problems with personality matching the job. And that was something that I found an issue and being a leader for a, a team of people with huge egos. And, and I mean huge. These are financial planners making you know, big coin, as they call it, with no respect for the customer whatsoever, or the client, as we call them, their personalities were actually selected for that role. And that is why they were so successful. So I don't think it would hurt to have a few basic 
understandings of the psychology of how people think, maybe a bit of an understanding of personality traits, which is really important to match to job. It's more important than the, than the academic side in some cases, not always. I wouldn't want a, um, somebody who's not qualified as a surgeon operating on me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about really matching you for that particular role. And that comes from a leadership able to identify the, um, the person for the role. And a lot of that, there's a lot more to that comment about being honest, because being honest is the number one attribute that a leader can bring to to their workplace because if you're starting to speak the truth you will have a far more desirable workplace when i say that the truth is usually never spoken in the workplace because of people being offended and we're talking about this culture now where you know cancel culture and people being offended it's always been that way we're just giving it a different name now and able to voice it on more platforms you know there's always been places where you can't speak the truth and the workplace is the number one place where you can't speak the truth and being able to have that ability in the workplace and there's a lot more to that, as you probably realise, but that's important. Let's don't mince with words. Let's don't pretend things aren't happening when they are. That was brilliant. All right, Nick, over to you, sir. A couple of things I think about, first of all, one is self-awareness. And Sophia's probably touched on most of these. I might just use a few slightly different words for the same things, but self-awareness so that they know themselves. One of the things Sophia talked about earlier was competence. I think most people can't stand working for someone that they deem to be incompetent, but who's in authority over them. That's that's a real grind. So it's competence to actually be good at what they're supposed to be doing. And But sometimes leaders don't have to be good at everything, I don't think. They, they can know their own strengths and their own weaknesses, and they might be really strong in some areas and know that they need help in other areas. And a good leader will identify that about themselves and be able to pull a team together that allows them to focus on what they do well, but also they'll make themselves accountable to other people so that they can actually harness you know, a collection of talents and actually end up, again, it comes back to what I was saying before, this idea that there's a team goal, we're all working together to achieve something. Um, and a good leader will understand their own limitations. Humility, I think, goes with that. They, they're not typically the kind of person who's in it just for themselves. They're big noting themselves and think everyone has to come begging and scraping to them for everything. They're normally the people who are in early, who work hard and they competent at their job and they just attract other people around them who want to help achieve the goal. They're good, good communicators as a general rule so that they can communicate the vision that they've got to other people because sometimes they can be a tremendous leader in the sense that they've got this awesome vision but they're off charging around all over the place nobody can keep up with them and nobody actually has a clue what's going on and they just get burnt out running backwards and forwards not really understanding what's going on so the ability to communicate that vision is really essential i think and then they're typically good problem solvers because life doesn't normally go to plan and whether that's with the people on the team with the project that you're doing it's the ability to to understand themselves and the people around them and then to to prog to to problem solve on the fly and and understand that things might not be going perfectly but we can actually get through this let's figure out how to how to make it work and let's harness the resources that we've got to move forward and so they're constantly looking at solutions and things like that rather than just finding you know whose fault is this how can we assign blame well, somebody once told me when i was younger that the number one rule of management was knowing where knowing how to apply it and how to assign blame 
but that's not really good leadership in my mind. So I think leaders of the future will be this balance of, of things where they're essentially, and Sophia's talked about it before in terms of competence, but and the only thing I'd probably disagree with Sophia about, well, maybe it's not a disagreement, but it's a clarification, this idea about people having to be in the office at a certain time, that sort of thing. There are a lot of roles where teams have to operate together to function. And so it is critical to have, you know, I've worked in businesses where if you don't have six guys together, then five guys are wasting their time. When one, if one guy says, I have to, I can't be here that morning, it just really creates a problem for the workflow and the way the patterns of work go. So it, that's the kind of thing that's tricky to manage. So a good leader will, will be able to talk to everybody and try and figure out, well, how do we balance individual needs against the team goals, all that sort of stuff. But that to me is an example of problem solving. There's always a problem. Sometimes it's a person can't be there. Sometimes it's a machine breaks down. So good leaders find ways to work through all that, bringing the people along with them. I don't know if I've answered the question, but that's the thoughts that come to mind. That's excellent. Okay. And then over to you. They're really good points. I think um, Nick and Sophia have really covered such a wide range. I, I think adding on or, or yeah, adding in is, is that transparency. And this is where it comes to what Sophia was saying about the honesty and that, that being transparent and encouraging the transparency throughout the organisation, which then aligns obviously with accountability as well. I know for myself in one of the organisations where I experienced amazing leadership was a culture of accountability and no blame. Everybody had to stand up and go, yeah, that was me. Or And it wasn't ever criticised, it was encouraged. So it, it's, and I've never experienced it again. So I, it's, it's, I've had this one experience of it and it was the most amazing place to, to work uh, at because you just had this, okay, if something goes wrong, we find it, we become accountable for it and we move through and we problem solve and it's done in such a positive manner. It, it, it was incredible. I like what you're talking about with matching talent to performance and the good the the fit being able to make sure that you've got the right people in the right position so that fit I think is crucial if you don't have that it all just kind of crumbles and being discerning and having foresight I think are, are, are really important characteristics as well Nick when you were saying about the well having to be in I think you're right you know there are industries where you have to be there but I also think we've got the capacity now with you know working from home virtual reality there's some stuff going on that uh, I know that we've been trialing through with work experience during virtual reality work experience that what it's going to look like might be different from what it has looked like and I think that that the leadership having that novel openness to going, okay, what might that look like? Being flexible enough to be going, oh, that's not something I've even thought of. It's because I just think, yeah, this stuff coming that we haven't even thought of yet. So being able to to embrace that rather than resist that, I don't know what the terminology for that might be, but took a lot away from those responses. I guess one for me that would would clump all of those together in the kind of leaders that I want to work with, and I'm meeting these people as, as time goes on. Is I use the term, and it's not my term, but I use the term a, a self reflective leader practitioner, someone who can check themselves, seek feedback back and understand what that means for their own practice and I've heard a lot of people use the term well yeah I'm self-reflective but the bit that's the most difficult to do is to get feedback
feedback from others on what you're finding. And that takes a lot of putting the ego aside and actually testing what you think you're doing against others. And those leaders are few and far between, but that's the ideal place I'd like to get to. I have to admit, like any other human being, you don't want to hear shit that pisses you off, but sometimes you need to hear that stuff to get you out of a comfort zone. And, um, you know, I, I hadn't given it a lot of thought, but Sophia made me think about something that I hadn't thought about for quite some time is sometimes a world of work is not a place to tell a truth. And the truth is subjective. So my version of what I think is the truth may not be someone else's. And that's where you get some friction. And I have a lot of empathy for those on the come up that have to learn this stuff in the modern workplace, even though that workplace is changing. I think you'll learn from the lumps and bumps of working around other human beings because I've, I've never made the assumption that people are in the world of work for the same reasons I am, nor do they bring my background into the place of work as well. So if you can understand that human beings are at work for all sorts of reasons and not necessarily yours, I think it makes life a lot easier because if we're spending a third plus of our day with other human beings that aren't family those people kind of end up being de facto family and like a family there's some people you love in an extended family and some you just want to see once a year and all the rest of that stuff so you just have to deal with it as it comes along no one can see this obviously because it's an audio but everyone's smiling and having a thought bubble just gone off then so maybe i triggered some thoughts some happy and not so happy memories but i yeah i think it's it's complicated and the one thing i take away from the discussion today is wherever you're at in your training whether you're at uni or tafe or wherever it is you're getting that extension of of a, of a lifelong learning or a, a love of learning that your view of things will change and that's necessarily a good thing it doesn't matter if i don't agree or someone else doesn't agree if it makes you happy then you're not we're not here for a long time but you hopefully you're here and have a decent time of it before you you're six feet under so to speak Everyone, thank you for this conversation. Now, before I go, any final thoughts you'd like to leave the listeners with about the discussion today? I'll start with Annette, if I could. I think that the final thought, I guess, is you did mention this earlier, as I've gotten older and moved through my career, I am at the point now where what I look for is different to what I looked for when I was younger. And for a leadership position, if I went into that, I'd certainly be wanting something where I was able to give it the space that it needed to be given and not be rushed and not having to do things in haste. You know, that would be my ultimate where you could honour what you what was in front of you and and really master uh, what you were trying to master rather than a lot of the, the busyness and the, the push that comes along with uh, a lot of roles. So, yeah, that's my last two cents worth. Thank you, Annette. Uh, Nick? Yeah, I think leaders are always, we're always going to need leaders and we're going we're gonna to value good leaders and the people that probably will, I valued in my time have always been people who saw me as a person, not as a robot. And they encouraged me, they inspired me somehow to, to be part of the journey that they were walking. And that's why they were the leader, because I wanted to, to follow them. But yeah, they still saw me as a person who turned up every day with my own issues. And they cared about my issues. And when necessary, they made allowances for me if I wasn't at my best, because they knew what was going on. So it's that, that idea that we're still actually a collection of people in relationships with each other. And good leaders acknowledge that as part of the journey, that it's, it's not just about the task. It's not only about the people either. There's some place in the, in the middle where they find a way to inspire and to bring people along because they can you know, create this vision of a world that's going to be a better world. Um, and they can show you how your, um, your commitment to that will help 
bring the bring that better vision around. So yeah, I think when we when we find those people, we like we like them and we we want to follow them. So they're out there, and yeah, they'll always be important. Thank you, Nick. Sophia. I don't really know if this is exactly what you want to hear, but it's exactly on topic. It's right on topic. I am currently interviewing uh, potential employers and I'm not, I am applying for work, but I'm interviewing the employers because I have some very specific questions for them. And those questions are about, as Annette and Nick both mentioned, transparency, which is my take on honesty. I want to know exactly what they expect of me in the timeframes that they want it done and what they're prepared to pay me to meet that objective. And if I do more than I'm paid to do, I don't expect any more money, but I will expect a lot more flexibility. So having that conversation with employers at the moment is really disturbing them. They feel threatened almost by this conversation. And in one instance, it was, well, I don't think we need to go there just yet. That's exactly where we need to go because I don't want to waste either other's time if you can't be clear with me about the job objectives. What are the actual tasks? What is it you're going to pay me per hour to do? And I'm not finding a lot of answers. So I'm not prepared to work for people that can't give me a very clear, defined workspace where I have an objective to meet so that it can be meaningful. So that's probably a big part that's lacking in our workforce now. And, you know, I do ask for a lot. I ask for flexibility with study and flexibility with my mental health. And I say that's asking for a lot. It really should be a given now because we don't expect people with COVID to come to work um, or with cancer to come to work. We shouldn't expect people to come to work if the, the mind isn't where it should be either. And that can be just for a couple of moments in a day or it could be, you know, for some time. I'm not asking for extended time off. That's not my point. My point is acknowledging upfront, like buying a second-hand car, what's wrong with it? So, and I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not a lemon. It's, it's got, I'm going to work and this is the capacity to which I can work. And that conversation is really upsetting to, to some of if not most of the employers, because there's all this talk about um, plenty of work out there, but plenty of work for people who ask no questions has been my experience. So I'll, I'll keep you up to date on how that conversation rolls out after the end of this semester. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's interesting, Sophie. That's really way, a good way to, it's, to end it's the discussion. Really, it's a really important discussion to have because there is this critique almost of the right answers to give and they're not true and they're not you know what are your weaknesses no one's going to tell you the weaknesses I will but they don't want to hear it they don't really want to hear oh my god she sees people I don't see they don't want to hear that when in actual fact that's the truth and it comes with some great bonuses that comes with extra I come with a whole you know extra personality so who wouldn't want that you're getting two for the price of one you know and I can say it in a way that I find it, you know, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed about my position and the employers need to embrace really what we're talking about. This is a year of of disability. Why aren't we open about that? And, you know, I'm not trying to put myself out of a job. I will be an excellent employee because I was an excellent manager when I used to, you know, an example of that would be if you have something to say about somebody who's doing something wrong and I get that. There's a a mindset in some people that they'll go as far as they can, you know, they'll reach their level of incompetence. And so instead of talking about that and "Mm, what are we going to do, how about we get that person in the room and we tell them what we think in a way that is truthful. And no, no one wants to hear it 
But when when you're deliberately avoiding the actual tasks that you're paid to do, you need to know that because you'll spend your life living, you know, in a meaningless existence. That's not good for anybody. No, not at all. Thank you to Sophia, Nick and Annette. This has been the Talking Leadership Podcast Series. Thank you for joining me. I hope to bring you more of these panel discussions. And to my guest today, thank you very much for sharing your experiences with me. This has been enlightening in a number of ways. And I hope we can carry on some conversations down the track if you're all able to give me an hour of your time to have a chat. Thanks, everyone. This has been Talking Leadership. We'll catch everyone on the next podcast.